from the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Paddy Danda, and today we have a special guest on the show, but I also have a super co-host with me today. We came in numbers. So uh, Vera, thank you for joining me today as my co-host. How are you doing? Thank you, Paddy. Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. I've been really excited for this and we have a special guest here who I'm very excited to talk to as well. Fantastic. So our special guest, oh my God, Tim, I I was looking at your bio and I think I'd be here all day if I uh, read out that particular bio, but just some highlights in terms of your background. I mean, you're the author of The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership, which is a book that just got released very recently. You're a TED Talk. You've presented at lots of universities around the world. I think I read a figure of you've spoken to more than 500,000 students, lecturers and thought leaders around uh, the world. Phenomenal bio there, but really want to welcome you to the show today, Tim. Thanks, Patty. I'm honored to be with you. This will, this will be a fun conversation. For sure. And I know, Vera, you were saying earlier, weren't you, that you've been listening to Tim's audiobook and just felt very strange now listening to him on the podcast as well. He is. It's amazing. And you know what? I love that you were the narrator of your own book in the, for the audiobook. I think that makes it so much more personal. So, Tim, it's very clear that you're passionate about leadership and coaching the next generation of leaders. So I was interested a bit in your journey, how you got to that, what drew you to it and why are you passionate about it? When I think back, I I think this is the 43rd year of my career, makes me tired thinking about it. But the first four years of my journey in my professional life was really working with young people. So students, young professionals, that was way back when I was a young professional. But in 1983, I went on staff with Dr. John Mack. Some of your listeners will probably know his name, this leadership guy. And my love of the next generation and my love of leadership got married at that point in the 80s and 90s. As I began to see the the difference it made in how we approach our work. When we think like leaders, we are better nurses, doctors, business people, workers. So All through the 80s and 90s, I continued to work on John's staff with young adults. But in 2003, I launched Growing Leaders, the nonprofit organization, specifically focused on the next generation. So while John Maxwell and Jim Collins and Stephen Covey were all focused on corporate leaders, I kept thinking, what would it look like if we got this to the next gen when they were 16 or 20 years old, not 46 years old? Uh, and already made four mistakes that they could have eluded had they known better. So we really focus on the young professionals. We focus on university students, even secondary school students. We try to get them early, teaching timeless, universal leadership and life principles through the power of images. We feel like pictures beat lectures for kids all the time. So we teach with images and pictures are worth a thousand words. So we have engagement immediately. And it's been a fun journey just to teach these same principles you and I have come to love that make us better people and better leaders, but to get it to the young and see them 
have epiphanies even as as young young people. Yeah, that's amazing. And something you've just said that has piqued my interest and probably piqued Paddy's interest too. We're both a bit of, you know, visual thinkers. Yeah. Paddy is an excellent visual thinker. He hosts a visual thinking meetup for that as well. So this image-based learning that you yeah. use, how have you seen its impact? Why is it powerful? And could you give some examples of how you use it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I stumbled onto it. But I must say, I think it began, I was a double major in my undergraduate degree and art was, commercial art was one of my majors. So I've always been a visual person. I've always been an artsy person. But as I would teach students and professors, I would insert an image or a story. Patty, you do the same thing in the midst of the talk. And afterwards, I would find out that was the only thing they remembered, you know, from the talk. And I suddenly realized I need to make this central rather than you know, secondary. So our content is called Habitudes. Habitudes are images that form leadership habits and attitudes. So there are nine courses. I'll just give you the quick overview, but it has been so fun to use metaphors and imagery to spark conversation. So here's a great example that usually young people find relevant. It's called Rivers and Floods. And there's a great photograph of a flood, a house being flooded. So it's very memorable. But rivers and floods, think about it, they're both bodies of water. But after that, it's all contrast. Floods are water going in every direction all at once and often doing damage. Rivers, on the other hand, are water flowing in a single direction because they have banks to them. And and then they can be leveraged to do a lot of good. You You can float down the river in a boat and use it for transportation. I find that people tend to be either rivers or floods. They're either doing too many, 17 things at once, multitasking and mostly doing not so much good, you know, often doing damage to their own life. We need to be rivers rather than floods. We need to flow, not not, not a flood. We need to be focused, not fuzzy. And you can imagine this makes sense to us as, you know, grown adults. But can you imagine as a, a college student who's trying to do too many things, finding their the ability to to you know, create a river out of their life and flow in a direction and become more focused. So anyway, that's just one. Let me give you another one. We, there's so many fun ones, but recently I was, I was on a podcast in Canada and we talked about how very often during a pandemic like we're in, communication becomes so key because when people are anxious and scared, we get narratives in our head, you know, that's, that's ill-informed or misinformed and we, we just need a good communicator at the top. So the image I've been using is dentist and cavities, (laughs) dentist and cavities. Think with me. If you go to the dentist and that dentist finds the cavity in your teeth, he or she will say, oh, I found a cavity. Can you stay a little bit longer and I'll fill it right now? Or if you can't, can you come back as soon as possible? Because that dentist knows if he doesn't fill the cavity right away, something else is going to fill that cavity. Bacteria is going to fill that cavity. So it is with leaders and teams. I think leaders are dentists. And I think when we don't have the information we need, we fill that cavity up here in our minds with the wrong stuff, bacteria, call it bacteria. And leaders need to be filling those cavities with with accurate information, with encouraging information. People need, people are down on what they're not up on. And so we need to make sure that. So anyway, that's just a couple of examples that 
here's the fun thing. Once you teach an image like that, Patty, you know this, people remember it and they can teach it themselves. So images become something that's a language. It's a vernacular that we can pass on. So I've had a blast, as you can tell, with athletic teams, businesses, universities. And I find that I come back four or five years later and they go, I remember the iceberg. I remember the iceberg, you know, because that was an image that stuck in their head. So I'll stop there. But that's that's a little bit of my answer to your question on the on the imagery thing. I'm thinking after what you just said that, you know, leadership, you do need to invest in it. It is pretty hard. So I'm still growing as a leader. I'm in my early days of that. And as I was listening to your recent book, The Eight Paradoxes of Leadership, first I was finding it really therapeutic that, hey, leadership is hard. It's not just me struggling with this. Why is leadership so challenging now more than ever? Yeah, great question. And probably there's way more answers than what I have available here. But I don't think I shared this in the book, but the genesis of this book really was a conversation I had, gosh, over three years ago in a green room just before a conference. I was talking to other CEOs and I asked them, do you think leadership is harder today than it was when you first learned to lead? And every single one of these leaders said yes. And I pushed back a bit because I thought, well, wouldn't you think it'd be way harder when we were in our 20s and we didn't know anything about leadership? But every single one of them agreed, nope, it's harder today. And obviously with the pandemic, it's become more difficult and more complex. But I think when I stop and think about the scenario we're leading in today, it makes sense. People come to our teams with higher levels of education more than ever before, higher levels of exposure meaning we have a smartphone in our hand and we can look up the dirt on anyone, even you and me, you know. They come with higher levels of emotion when they come to work today. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When I began my career, it was very common to hear the phrase, leave your personal problems at home. You know, you come here to get your work done. Well, today the mantra is, bring your whole selves to work. You know, don't you hear that where you are too? And, and so people are humans and they are humans, but that means you, they bring emotion, they bring baggage, they bring complexities. And I had a CEO say to me recently, I don't know whether I need to be a supervisor, cheerleader, CEO, motivational speaker, or you know what, a coach, you know, and I'm going all the above. We need to be all the above these days. So I think the complexities that the pandemic has brought with it, plus just the economy being volatile and, and changing all the time. I think many leaders are throwing in the towel. In America, we had the great CEO exodus of 20. I'm not sure where it's happening where you are, but I mean, major Fortune 500 companies, just leaders just were leaving. And then we had the great resignation this last year where millions of people just quit their job. I think many are trying to find a pandemic proof, meaning I might drive for Uber because at least I'm in control of my income and I'm not going to get laid off or fired. So anyway, I just think we need to, this is our time to step up, not step back in leadership. And I'm just wanting to encourage people by this book, by this Eight Paradoxes book, we've got to step up and have the social and emotional skill sets need today to lead. It's not a luxury anymore. We've got to be emotionally intelligent and socially intelligent leaders. And I know you all believe that too. So it's an honor to be with you on the, on the conversation today. Me and Paddy have been having conversations as well. You know, things are going to get even more complex. So 
we really yeah. need to start investing in our human skills, getting ready. It's true. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been holding all the questions. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, Vera, you're a big fan of Tim's and, and I'm now becoming a big fan as well. So uh, I just wanted to give you the stage on that. I want to take you back, actually, Tim. You mentioned about young people, the yeah. way that they learn really yeah. effectively through visuals. I was reading some interesting stats just the other night, actually. I'm reading a book called Stolen Focus, and it's it's amazing some of the insights I'm seeing from there. But one of them was around reading books. And they found with some research, I think it's up to 57% of Americans don't read a single book in a particular year. And it's not just the US, you know, in the UK, I think it's about 40% of men haven't read a single book in a year and about 29% of women. So... What's interesting is we, we live in a visual society, like everything yeah. we look at in terms of social media, Instagram, I, I even love the word Insta. It's all about, you know, instantly yep. available. Yep. It's true. And and because of all of this focus on visuals, what you're mentioning there about using visuals, it is really effective to get people's attention and get them to really retain that information. But on the flip side of that, do you see any disadvantages of that? Because at the moment, you know, we are almost losing some of that deep yeah. messaging. Do you see any disadvantages? Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's why I often find myself relaying to leaders this disadvantage as well as the advantage and then saying, we can either get mad or get busy. We need to get busy. But here's what I find in, intriguing. You're right. Reading books, entire books is on its way down. Sad to say as an author, I must say. But um, I wonder if people are actually reading more, but just in microcosms, meaning we'll read memes and tweets and more words maybe, but in microcosms. So micro learning, I think, is, is what we're seeing today is effective. I'm sure you've learned this, Patty. You teach a bit and that let people interact with it, then teach a bit and let people interact. So I find myself lecturing less and offering an image, talking about the principle, letting people upload their own thoughts, not just me downloading my thoughts. And then maybe there's an experience, maybe we've gamified it a bit. And again, I know we're on the same page here. I think we're going to have to build that muscle of deep learning back into the minds and hearts of leaders, because right now I do think we stick to the surface. Far too often, everything's reduced to 140 characters or a meme that's got a great quote, but that's about as deep as we go. I've often said on social media, we're much better at reacting than reflecting. And I think we need to get better at reflecting. Critical thinking skills are down. And so leaders listening, can I just encourage you and nudge you? We've got to get better at critically thinking and unpacking. What are we really saying here and what's being said? So I'll stop there, but I'm on the very same page you're on. We're going to have to build that muscle back. And just to go on, actually, if I think to my back to my days as a young student, which was many years ago, Vera, you know, that was way, way before your time. <laughs> I didn't believe it. <laughs> I, I was a big introvert, massive introvert, believe it or not. I used to be the last person to put on my hand in class. I hated standing in front of people and talking. And I'm just thinking, when you're teaching these skills, these leadership skills to the young folk, how do you deal with those sort of personalities? Is there a way to 
connect with them in an effective way. Because somebody said to me at the age of, I don't know, 17, 18, 19, yeah. hey, buddy, you are a leader. Yeah. I would not have believed him at all. Yeah. I would have thought that's someone else. That's not me. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I think there's really two parts to what you just asked, uh, Patty. So let me kind of address both parts. Very, very often when I'm amidst young professionals that are like you, they don't see leaders. I didn't think I was a leader all through school. I did not. That was not the word that came to mind when I stared at myself in the mirror. But I actually believe there's four very common ways that um, people emerge into leadership. And I think every one of us fits into these kinds. So the number one of the four is some people are gifted to lead. That's the John Maxwell's of the world. They just, it's probably five to 10% of the population. They're just gifted. And I think we need to get those people pulled aside and say, you owe it to the rest of us to use that gift. It's a stewardship. You owe people, you know, to manage your life. But again, that's a small percentage. The second type of a way that people enter leadership is some people are situated to lead, situated. And here's what I basically say here. World is full of two kinds of leaders, habitual leaders and situational leaders. Habitual leaders are the ones that lead out of habit. They're the John Maxwell's. They're the gifted people. Very small percentage. The other 90% of us, though, I think are what I call situational leaders. And we're the ones, Patty, like you just said, we don't think we're a great leader, but put us in the right situation, one that matches our strengths, our passions, our gifts, in that one zone. We're good. Nobody's ever trained us and we know what to do. We're comfortable in that area. We're natural in that area. We're influential in that area. Here's a person that comes to mind. We had a very, very, very quiet introvert in our department in San Diego where I was working as a leader. And he never spoke up, probably much like you in your early days, Patty. And yet I put him in, in charge of our technology, you know, the soundboard and the technology. Oh my gosh, he came alive. You would have thought, what happened to Richard? You know, but it was because we put him in a zone and he would have never, he had to be situated to lead. So as a father of two young adult children, my job was to help them find their situation their God-given situation where they just bloom. And then they're hungry to learn leadership because they go, oh my, I've got some influence here, you know? So that's number two. Number three, some people are positioned to lead and they're the people that would never rise to the occasion until someone hands them a badge or a title or a position and says, I need you to do this, you know? Vera, I need you to do this. And you would be very sheepish or uh, hesitant until you realize, oh, I've got to do this. And you rise to the occasion. Haven't we seen that hundreds and hundreds of times? People that would have never believed they could do it, needed someone to believe in them, challenge them, give them the authority, and they did. And then number four, number four is my favorite. I think some people are summoned to lead. And when I say summoned, I don't mean to be over-spiritual here, but a problem summons them. And the very best version of themselves come out, comes out. A dilemma, a challenge. By the way, this is where I think leadership starts with anger, maybe, or, or uh, a sense of injustice has just happened. You know, don't we see that in the emerging generation? And rightfully so. But you see somebody getting mad. When I see a young person get mad, I go, good, glad you're mad. At least you're not apathetic. You're, puffed. you know, you're, you have pathos. So I'll say, what do you think we should do about that? I don't know. I don't know. You should do something. 
So here's a great illustration for at least your American listeners. One of our presidents in the United States, Harry Truman, was president during the latter part of World War II when Winston Churchill was prime minister of England. Harry Truman would have been voted the least likely to be a leader when he was in school. He was very quiet, very introverted, wore big, thick glasses that looked like the bottom of Coca-Cola bottles, you know, that thing. His friends made fun of him because he was just so quiet and, and had those big, thick glasses. But Harry Truman signed up to fight in World War I. And while he was in Europe, marching across Europe, the, the, the Germans started dropping something from the sky. And nobody knew quite what it was, but everybody knew it was not good. And they started running in fear. People were retreating everywhere. Harry Truman had a horse fall over right on top of him. It was a miracle he didn't die right then and there. But he got up from under the horse, saw the rest of his soldiers running in fear, and he yelled at the top of his lungs, stop, get back here. We've not finished our mission. Well, I think everybody was so amazed at this quiet person was yelling at them to get back. They all stopped dead in their tracks. And one by one, they started coming back and they finished their mission. That evening, Harry Truman wrote in his journal, I learned two things about myself today. Number one, I had a little bit of courage. And number two, I really like to lead. And from that point on, Harry Truman was on a trajectory of leadership, later ended up president of the United States. But I, again, I think he was summoned to lead. Those bombs somehow did something that nothing else had done that just lit him up. And I guess I would encourage listeners right now, what is it that you look around and say, that should not be, maybe that's summoning you to step out and do something that maybe no one, no badge, no person would have challenged you enough, but maybe there's a problem that needs to be solved. And I think leaders saw problems and serve people. So anyway, I'm waxing eloquent now. I'm sorry, but that's, that's what I believe about, about the starting of the leadership journey there. Oh, that's phenomenal. Thank you so much, Tim. Absolutely resonate with that. I think having those four different types yeah. really does, for me, clarify that because, but, but nobody explains it that way normally, right? They, they will say, yeah. we're all leaders and you go, no, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really hard for you to even comprehend that, that term. But when you explain it that way, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and Vera, I mean, I know you're in a, in a position at the moment where you're having to demonstrate certain leadership characteristics. What, what are some of the challenges you're having? Oh, good question. So I have been facing a dilemma recently. And the first paradox that you list in your book, Tim, has been helping me. So I suppose I can be quiet with my teams. In some ways, it's you know, being humble and inviting people in, just having kind of like that safe environment. It is a help and people, you know, feel like they can be themselves. But then I'm on one end of the spectrum. There's another end of the spectrum where sometimes you need to have confidence and be able to speak up, make decisions. I need to try and draw myself a bit more the other way, but it's not one or the other, is it? It's, yes. Like you say, a paradox. So, yeah. So true. We live in an either or world, don't we? You're either on this side or that side of the issue and we're so polarized. But you're right. These paradoxes, Vera, like you just said, it's both and, and you have to leverage the one that's needed in the moment. 
So listeners, in case you didn't catch it, the very first paradox in this book is called Uncommon Leaders Are Both Confident and Humble. But don't we often think, well, you're the one or the other, you know, whatever. And Vera, you would say, I, I guess I'm, I'm a humble leader because I'm, I'm young and, you know, learning and so forth. But you're absolutely right. Your team, those under your care are going to need you to step up sometimes because they'll never follow a leader unless they feel like that leader thinks we're going to get to the goal. You know, there needs to be a, a bit of a fire or a bit of a confidence. So this is where I think we need to read our people before we lead our people. At the morning hours, our people may need to see confidence in us, but in the afternoon hours, they may need to see humility from us. So here's the way I summarize it. People won't follow a leader unless they see some confidence. But if all they see is confidence, they're going to go, you're not that good. You know, <laughs> you know, what are you drinking right now? You know, what are you smoking right now? You know, that thing. And I think they need to see that humility that basically says I'm human. And I realize I need all of you. We need each other to get to this goal. Doesn't that make you feel better as a team member to go, my leader's good, but he or she knows they need us as well. That's that humble part. And by the way, my illustration, I have a case study for every one of these chapters in the paradoxes. My paradoxical, confident, humble leader was Bob Iger, the former CEO of, of the Disney enterprise. So Bob came in not knowing how to run something as large as the Walt Disney, you know, companies that sold plush toys and movies and theme parks. And, uh, and yet when he came in, he said, I had to learn. So he said, there I was humbly learning from the very team members I would be leading. Think about that. I was asking them questions and then say, okay, I want you to do this. I know, I just told you, you know? So it was quite funny. He said, I had to not pretend that I knew, but at the same time, when it was time to step up and make a decision, I had to, with a sense of agency say, all right, here's what we're gonna do. And I had to be believable with my sense of clarity and confidence. Anyway, I'm, I'll stop there. But listeners, I just want to say both are going to be needed. And it's not one or the other. It's reading the situation and saying, I will be what my people need me to be right now. Not fake it till you make it, but I will, I will exhibit the quality they need. And that's that human superpower, Patty, that you talk about all the time. I feel like I've listened to you for ages. And there's so much more in your book as well. So Tim, imagine... You have a superpower of being able to time travel. Mm. And we're going to travel to 10 years into the future. What um, message might you take for those people oh in the future? My. Wow. That is a fantastic question. <laughs> All right. So this is the first thing that comes to my mind. It may not be the best thing, but it's the first thing. I think that, could I speak to leaders in the future? Would that be all right? Yeah, go for it. Okay, good. I think I would say to future leaders, because of what's trending in our society today, learn to lead yourself first. Now, I know that sounds so elementary, but isn't it true if we're gifted or talented or good communicators or great organizers or whatever, we get thrust into influential positions sometimes before we've ever learned to build our own sense of values and disciplines and so forth. So I just believe I wish I could go back and talk to my former self and say, Tim, you were put on the stage way before you should have been put on the stage. And I would have gone back and, and, and I don't think I was awful, but I would have learned to lead me and earn my right to lead other people without a position just by the way they watch me lead myself. I feel like that's the message 
so many people need right now. Aren't we all about the glitz, the glamour, the followers, the retweets, the shares, the views? And I wonder if it's made us superficial when we really just need to say, let me live the life that others would want to emulate. My children, my spouse, my team, other people out there somewhere, that makes me a better person, I think. So I think that would be the message I'd take to the future. Oh, what a great point that one is. Yeah, I think sometimes, yeah, we're just so focused on the end goal that actually yeah. Yeah. building the foundation can get skipped. Yeah. Because again, we're, we're after a fast solution. Yeah. And oh, we get promoted at work. Yeah. And yeah. all of a sudden we have manager in the title and we're expected to know how to fulfill that role when actually I've never done this before. I have no yeah. idea, but I don't want to show vulnerability. Yeah. You know, we like that. Well, can I volley back on that? I think we do tend to stay in the places we get promoted and affirmed. So you're right. Workplace, quick, 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 get further, get, get the new title, the new position, the new salary. I remember learning on, learning as a young married man, as a new husband, I tended to stay at work because that's where I got the affirmation and the applause and the, you know, more money. And no one had ever really trained me how to be a good husband. And I remember just, I'm going to get vulnerable here, but I remember just crying as I sat on the bed with my wife who said, I feel like a single mom right now. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've got no rebuttal. And I determined I am going to work on those things that no one is applauding necessarily out in the public. But I knew I wanted the respect and love of my closest family members first. So I'm just keeping it real here. I, I think we tend to pay attention to the stuff that gets clapped for or applauded when maybe we need to look in the mirror and say, where do I really, really want to? I believe success is, being, is winning the respect of those who are closest to me. And it may not be the public. It may be my, my wife. It may be my children. It may be the man looking back at me in the mirror. Do you know, Tim, that actually sparked a, a thought. Vera, I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I pinged you on WhatsApp and I said, Vera, let's do a retrospective of the week. What was the one thing that you learned from this week that you would perhaps change? I don't know if you remember my response, Vera, when you asked me that. I It was about my son and my kids. So he wanted me to help him with some stuff. I can't even remember what it was now. And I just didn't have time. Yeah. And I brushed him away. But it really hit home to me at the end of the week. And I was like, hang on a minute. I have time for everyone at work. I have like literally, we go out of our way for other people outside of the family. And yet he was stood right there and I just pushed him to one side and I felt really bad for that. And that really did hit home. And just what you mentioned there just brought that back home for me. Yeah, yeah. I think you're so right. 